Hi there, folks, and welcome to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zev Nakajima again. Great to have you with us today or tonight, wherever in the world you might be tuning in from. Now, before we jump right into this week's conversation, which is another call from a new client, and this one's in the market for small buildings in the near vicinity of Tokyo. So just a quick introduction to our new sponsor. Now, you may remember him from one of our past episodes, and I'll link to it in the show notes. This is no other than Hiroshi Shimizu, our favorite immigration lawyer, and he's already helped quite a few of our clients with lots of things, so from consultations and advice to actual visa applications and grants. So if you're thinking about moving to Japan for work or to open a business, or if you are already in Japan on a more temporary visa and you want to switch to a more permanent one, or for any other business setup or visa-related inquiry, don't be shy to hit him up. Shimizu-san is an immigration lawyer, but he's also an administrative administrative scrivener, judicial scrivener, which means that he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and consultation related to these topics. So feel free to reach out to him on info at h-shimizu-office.com. That's info at the letter H for Hiroshi hyphen or dash Shimizu, S-H-I-M-I-Z-U, another hyphen dash office.com. Or just pick up the phone, give him a call. That's a plus eight one for Japan if you're calling from overseas. Mind the time difference, of course. And then 092-732-7755. And you should be well on your way to having all of your visa-related issues handled professionally, effectively, and at a very reasonable price. Okay, so for today's episode, um, as I've mentioned, this is a call that I've had with a new potential client who reached out to us last week. He's based in the US, like many of our uh, clients and listeners, and he wanted to pick our brains about a bunch of stuff from basic market fundamentals and current trends, which as you probably know by now, if you've been listening to us for a while, can be quite different uh, from what you're used to in your country of residence both as far as capital growth versus cash flow goes, but also as far as tenancy laws, practices are concerned. Um, He also wanted to get a rough idea of the costs involved in purchase and management, um, interesting locations, and also, which I found quite interesting, about what exactly is involved in the purchase when it's done remotely, as opposed to if he was here in person, uh, face-to-face here in Japan, which is also an option for him. We also talked a bit about the timeframes involved at every stage of the process, the fees that we as buyers, agents, and proxies charge for our services as a single point of contact for buyers, and also the potential of actually living in the property that you've purchased when you're in the country for whatever purpose. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I know I did. Have a listen, and I shall see you again on the other side. Okay, yep. So go for it. So Tokyo is um, a bit too expensive, and also the yields are a bit too compressed, yeah? Yeah. So, and uh, in uh, yes, and then for me, uh, obviously, with the Japanese shrinking population, um, it, there's a I think there's a balance here where you know if you go way out in the countryside, maybe you get a, a better yield, but then the the land won't be worth anything longer term. But uh, my uh, my feeling, uh, which hopefully you can validate, is you know going west of Tokyo, it's still an attractive area. There's still going to be population growth. It's a nice place to live. And so it should hold its uh, the land value in the longer term. Um, that's correct to a point, just with two caveats. One is that um, aside from Tokyo, there are quite a few big metropolitan centers in Japan that are definitely not losing population. They're actually gaining population because the smaller, uh, as the smaller townships die out, they sort of conglomerate into the bigger metro centers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see. 
places like uh, Nagoya, Osaka, Kyoto in the center of the country or um, Fukuoka, Kumamoto in the west and also a few towns further north but not too many are still big enough centers that will be gaining in population for at least a good few decades. Um, as for land value, that's a bit... Um, That's a bit less of a given. The thing is, um, Tokyo and Osaka specifically are very close to, or at least before Corona, were very close to where they were when the 90s bubble burst. Mm-hmm. So even when things go back to normal, whether they've got a lot more room to grow um, is a bit of a question mark, especially if salaries don't go higher, which means that rents also cannot go higher. Um, mm-hmm. So any growth is... in those particular cities are limited. Yep. Um, and other places that still haven't grown nearly to those proportions, so places like, um, again, Nagoya, Fukuoka, Kumamoto, still have a lot more room to grow conceptually than Tokyo and Osaka would. So as far as land prices are concerned, um, I wouldn't necessarily say that Tokyo has longer uh, growth potential Um, or at least not in the longer term compared to those other places, at least until the economy improves on more than the macro level. Right. I see. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, I'm just saying as far as potential growth goes, um, it's true that bigger cities have a better potential for growth than smaller cities do population-wise. Um, yep. and industry-wise, but specifically for Tokyo and Osaka, I wouldn't count on them having the, um, the sharpest graph, at least until the economy, uh, at least until there's more of a trickle-down, that's all. Because at the moment, um, property prices in Tokyo and Osaka um, and Fukuoka, but Fukuoka still got a lot of room to grow, um, are growing a lot faster than other places in the country. But If that doesn't trickle down to salaries and rents, I would consider that to be more temporary superficial growth and not actually anything that you'd bank on long term. Mm-hmm. Um, for things to improve on the longer term, I would expect to see some policy changes as far as immigration or birth rates go. Um, otherwise, we're still looking at a shrinking workforce and that can't sustain growth in the long term, even in a good city. So right. I, I okay. would consider yeah. Japan to be first and foremost a, a cash flow, comfortable rental income sort of environment rather than bank on any growth. Gotcha. Okay. Um, that sounds reasonable with the, uh, with the caveat being that um, uh, uh, I think I feel comfortable in hearing what you said and just doing research and listening to your podcast and such. You know, something like uh, Yokohama, west, you know, uh, west of Tokyo, that kind of thing. Kind of a good in the middle. You know, the price is not too high, yields a little bit higher, um, but not like super high yield, you know, more disappearing towns. Something in the middle sounds good. Yeah. I, I just bear in mind that once you get beyond, say, 45 minutes by train from Tokyo, whichever direction you're headed in, um, yep. it's probably a better idea to look at the next town Uh, let's say if we go west of Tokyo, once you get past 45 minutes by train, it's probably better to look at, uh, say, something that's within 45 minutes from Nagoya, which mm-hmm. is the next bigger town heading west, um, yeah. rather than in the middle, which would be, say, an hour west of Tokyo would already start to be sort of pushing it just tenant database-wise. You're not going to get that many available tenants there. 
catch it. You mean you'd uh, you might uh, you, if you have tenant turnover, you might have trouble finding a new tenant. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Mm. Very helpful. Okay. And budget-wise, you mentioned something like thirty, thirty-five million yen. Was that about right? Yeah, something like that. Uh huh. Okay, so I mean that's still doable in Yokohama. It's definitely doable in uh, some of the smaller or more distant cities um, west of Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also doable, uh, maybe not in Osaka and Kobe, but it's also doable in Nagoya um, if it's not super mm-hmm. central. Um, in Yokohama as well, Super Central wouldn't be at that budget, would be a bit higher than that. But Yokohama, if you get a little bit suburban, you can already find something that's at that level, yes. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah, that sounds a reasonable approach. Um, I do go to Japan on occasion for work uh, in a, you know, in a, uh, a non-corona <laughs> time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, the... Since I do, since the work is in Tokyo, uh, it, you know, it would be good to. Uh, I mean, ideally, it would be something I could actually, you know, if I'm on a business trip, I could, you know, take half a day and visit or something, you know, something like that. Or, uh, you know, any uh, paperwork could be done, you know, maybe in person, something like that. Um, that's. I think I specified in the email that's possible to an extent. I mean, the entire purchase process would take, let's say, from from application maybe about two months to finalize. Mm-hmm. Um, assuming that you need, um, because you don't have a Japanese residency and uh, uh, hanko, the seal that they use here for documents, so you would have to notarize the uh, some of the official documents that you'll be using. Mm-hmm. And some of those would only be available for signing a notarization, say, maybe two, three weeks before settlement. Mm-hmm. So if you are here physically, uh, let's say, between the signing of the contract uh, and payment of the deposit would be about a month before settlement in usual cases for non-resident um, mm-hmm. uh, buyers. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're here for about a month, month and a half, you should be able to do it all in person. But that only that that's only going to be possible if you've actually um, decided on a property and uh, submitted an application two, three weeks before you arrive. Right. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. So that so the it, entire it, uh, stretch, the entire stretch is going to be two months from application to settlement, and then you're here for the month and a half. Right, and ideally. There's no, uh, at, at that time, whenever that is, there's no quarantine. So, like, when you get there, you can actually do things and not be uh, quarantined. That's actually yeah, another very good point to consider. Um, I guess, I'm not sure what the quarantine um, regulations specify, but it might be possible to get documents over to your hotel, but then I don't think it'll be possible to get a notary republic over to you. Mm. Um, so yes, okay. we'd want you to be out of quarantine and available for uh, attending meetings and signing stuff for about a month and a half. Gotcha. Okay. So we'll have to see that's, uh, that is possible and, uh, uh, but it might not happen just depending. Well, not, um, not in the next couple depending. of months, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, uh, Oh, they are, it, they are uh, letting business people in now, aren't they? Uh, yes, they are. 
Okay, so that, uh, so, that might be doable. Yeah, yeah. So it could definitely be doable. Although, um, uh, I, I definitely, I've been just you know following uh, a couple online threads about it. It's it still is a two week quarantine period. Yep. Which they may change. Uh, I think it's uh, two weeks unless you're Chinese, uh, and I'm not. Yep. So, uh, and I will not become one apparently. So this. Are is you not sure? Okay. But hopefully, <laughs> but. In theory, uh, the two weeks may shrink, they said, because uh, I think they're being uh, overly cautious at the moment if it's a two-week quarantine after you've passed your uh, your test. So even though you've come out negative, you still need to wait two weeks. So yeah, I also thought that was they a bit ridiculous. This. And yes. with the uh, property itself, did you want one of the units to be vacant or leased out on a short-term basis so that you can use it when you visit? Or is it okay to just um, make sure they're all uh, tenanted long-term? Uh, I think it's probably simpler to just have them all leased. Um, yeah, if, if the other way worked out, that would be nice. But I, it seems like it would be more complicated, yeah. Um, not necessarily. In Yokohama, the short-term market is, is vibrant enough, um, again, barring COVID times. But I, I guess the question is who's paying for your accommodation. If you're the one forking out the money for the hotel every time you visit, then that's um, probably a good idea to have a unit ready for you. It'll be a lot cheaper for you to stay here. But if, um, if your accommodation is covered by somebody else, then there's no reason not to just keep them tenanted. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, so that sounds right. So maybe... Uh, you know, we'll keep our eyes open for something that might be open, but uh, let's assume not. Okay, and let's we can also purchase tenanted. tenanted. Yeah. We can purchase fully tenanted if we can, and then if and when a tenant move out, you can reevaluate whether you want to repopulate the unit or not. Yep, that sounds great. Okay, yep. so what other questions can yep. I answer for you? Uh, in terms of the the buying process, uh, I think it seems uh, just looking. You know, uh, you know, I've been. I've been uh, you know, following your 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 podcast and and you sent the information, which is very helpful. Thank you. I think it makes generally uh, good sense. Um, I think I'd like to ask some more questions on the management. Uh, you sent some uh, some documents here, uh, like the initial deal analysis, which I think that was clear. But um, the you know, how does the management work? So we're an added layer or a sort of a one-stop shop kind of thing for managing all of your needs here in Japan um, because, A, you're not physically present here um, and also you would require to have an actual address to receive postal items too because Japan is still very paper-oriented. And the other thing, of course, is that... Um, aside from, uh, uh, I want to say, maybe a dozen... Um, agents and property managers in Tokyo and maybe a handful of them in other big cities, there just aren't too many professionals out there that can deal directly with foreigners. Uh Um, It becomes a little bit easier, not much easier if those foreigners can speak, read and write Japanese. But even then, just the fact that you're not uh, native Japanese um, sort of freaks some of them out. Uh So we fill this gap by giving them a Japanese face to deal with and giving you a single point of contact that um, communicates in English to deal with. Uh And they would be, so in in a typical scenario where you wouldn't have somebody like us involved, they would be charging uh, somewhere between three to seven. The average is usually 5% of the gross rental income for management. Uh 
And for that, they would be communicating with the tenants, handling any sort of uh, maintenance requests, um, emergencies, that sort of thing, collecting the rent and depositing it into your account. Mm-hmm. And then the other charges that they have is when a unit becomes vacant, they don't charge because there's no gross rent, obviously, but then they charge you somewhere between one to three months of rent when they repopulated it for advertising and uh, placement fees. Mm-hmm. And that's about it on the property manager side. So when you add us as that added layer for management, we charge um, an additional two or 3% in your case with, um, with the budget that you're talking about, it's going to be 2% of the gross rental income. And we also don't charge when the property is vacant. And then when there is um, a new tenant placed in it, we charge half a month. So all up, you're looking at 7% uh, ongoing management when there's a tenant in there and somewhere between one and a half to three and a half months uh, rent when we place a new tenant. Right. And that includes our fee and the property manager's fee. Ours is the smaller component, but we also charge on anything that's not standard um, management. So, for example, if we have to file an insurance claim on your behalf, if we have to apply to court for anything, um, if you want us, say, a unit is vacant and you want us to organize somebody to come in and do some maintenance um, that's not related to property management because it's a vacant unit. And then we charge by the hour for these sort of tasks. I see. Okay. Uh, right. And then um, the and so when you get a new tenant and they have to pay uh, what is it key money? I think they call it. Uh, does that come to me, or is that in the um, like the local manager is taking that money for their expenses doing that? Um, well, the key money officially is actual money used to replace the lock and the key. So that's an expense that the tenant pays, but then goes to the professional who actually does the job. So that's got nothing to do with the property manager. In some cities, there's still what they call raking a thank you fee, which um, sort of exuberant fee that um, just historically is being charged whenever somebody moves into a property. Uh, in most cases, that would be going to you. In some specific cases or specific property managers, especially if there's already a lease in place um, that they're used to working with, uh, uh, sorry, not a lease, but a contract between the uh, owner and the property manager that's already in place. In some cases, that would be going to them, but we would let you know in advance if that's the case. If it's up to us and it's a city where we can uh, sort of have the have things the way we want them, we prefer not to charge a thank you fee at all because it's easier to get tenants without it. Mm, okay. uh, it's also not a very fair fee, to be honest, so we prefer not to charge it to tenants. Um, right. Yeah, it didn't seem uh, – I, I was just reading – going to read the online, uh, you know, guiding forms. There's a lot of complaints about that. Yes. So, it's, um, it's a yeah. ridiculous fee and it used to be um, – I mean, these days the laws are more tenant-oriented to protect tenants, but before they uh, made the latest renovation, uh, the latest uh, reform to those laws, there were a lot of um, just dodgy landlords who used to um, put a tenant in a property, charge him the thank you fee, kick them out six months later, charge another one for another thank you fee and so forth. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Wow. 
So it's not a very nice fee. Um, so if we can avoid it, we will. There's also a lease renewal fee, which would normally be every two years, which is the standard lease term. Mm-hmm. Um, in cases when there's an existing tenant in place, we'll have to look at the lease to see, um, again, who gets that fee. Uh, sorry, who pays that fee? So sometimes it's the, uh, in most cases, it would be the tenant who pays that and that goes to the property manager. In other cases, if the tenant doesn't have that included in their lease terms, then you would have to pay the renewal fee. And that's usually equal to uh, between half to a month of rent. Again, depending on the city, depending on the property manager, we've got more choice in bigger cities and less choice in smaller cities. So in some of the smaller towns, um, we'd have to work with a particular property manager and we have to accept whatever terms they set out. Uh, whereas in bigger uh-huh. cities in Tokyo, Yokohama, Nagoya, Fukuoka, again, uh, we can sort of pick and choose the property managers that we work with and then we obviously aim for better terms. Right. Got it. Okay. All right. Um, okay, Doug. Um... You know, in in the uh, you know, I'm from the U.S. obviously, and uh, you know, we have a, a a title system here with title insurance and title this and stuff like that. And I'm understanding that that's not the way it works in Japan. You simply do the paperwork, and then your proof that you own the property is the paperwork you get. Is that is that a fair statement? Well, there is a title deed, or the equi- the Japanese equivalent of a title deed. And the ownership transfers are done by uh, registered judicial scriveners that are government uh, certified. Yep. And they're impartial to any company involved in the process, and they would lose their license very quickly if there was any monkey business involved. So there's usually no need here for anything like an escrow or anything of that sort. Mm-hmm. Um, the scriveners would confirm the validity of the title deed and make sure that the property is uh, free of any debt before they uh, transfer ownership and transfer the money over. Mm-hmm. And same goes for the real estate companies involved. They've got pretty strict, uh, uh, pretty strict uh, criteria for renewing their license that they would not, they would not be uh, eligible for if they do any. I mean, Japan is generally a very law-abiding country, and everything's got a paper trail. A mile long, so that hasn't really been an issue. It is, of course, an issue with bigger developments where the yakuza might be involved, or um, in some, you know, more countryside towns where some of the land might not be freehold because it's agricultural, or because there's some, um, uh, again, some local gangster doing things. But we very rarely are involved in any of those deals. And if we see that it smells even remotely of anything like that, we'd uh, red light it and just not go ahead with it. So that hasn't been an issue for us, definitely. And it's not a very common issue in Japan overall. Yes. Yes, I agree. We should avoid gangsters. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So then the way it works uh, is um, uh, there's two options. You know, one, if I'm actually there for the amount of time and can, can do it in person. And, and the, the, way, the, uh, the other, which is, you know, it's all fully remote. Um, so in person, uh, there's the, you know, the different things, the offer, and then there's eventually a, a notar- notarization of the uh, paperwork and you get your deed at that point, right? Is that a correct statement? Um, settlement occurs 
on a certain day, and then it takes another two or three weeks for the Legal Affairs Bureau to issue the new title deed and the new registration documents. So there is a, a space of a few weeks between the time you actually um, pay the settlement fee and the scrivener transfers the property owner. There is two or three weeks until you actually get the new documents. Mm-hmm. But that could be done from a different country. It could be mailed overseas. I That's assume. correct. I mean, it can all be done from a different country. To be fair, if you're here but you don't um, you don't speak or read um, fluent business Japanese, which is a uh, kago and uh, involving those uh, kanji alphabet, the old Chinese characters. So if you're yeah. not 100% fluent in that, the property agent and the taken, who is the official, again, another government certified uh, document reader or document presenter sort of thing, they're not mm-hmm. um, authorized to conduct any transaction with you directly unless you're 100% fluent. So in any case, even if you're here, we would have to um, accompany you to the meeting if you want to do this in person as your interpreter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you're doing this remotely, then we can, in almost all cases, uh, do the transaction remotely as well. So we would be communicating with them via Skype or Zoom or something of that sort, and doing the uh, settlement. Uh, sorry, not the settlement. The contract signing meeting, which is when all the document reading takes place. Um, yeah. We would be doing that remotely with them, and then we wouldn't have to um, attend physically together with you. If you are here physically and we have to attend with you, then we would just have to charge you not for any extra labor because it's the same same amount of work, but for the actual uh, transportation and accommodation fees for us to come and join the meeting. Right. And um, is that from somewhere in Tokyo or from Fukuoka? We're in Fukuoka. Ah, okay. So we're you need in. to fly there, presumably. Yes, or take the train. But, I mean, if you're talking about a, a property that's uh, 30 or 35 million yen, that's only going to be a couple of hundred dollars more. It's not a deal breaker in any case. Got it. I see. Okay. Right. And, um, yes, I have many questions. Um, um, is When you actually uh, do the, 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 you know, make the transaction, you obviously have to wire the money from abroad. Is, does that get complicated in most cases, or you just have a bank account you wire to, and that's it? We can definitely do it via direct bank transfer. So if you want to remit, I'm assuming you don't have a Japanese yen account in the States, correct? Right. So you would be either remitting U.S. dollars, and then your bank would exchange them into yens and deposit yens into our account? Mm-hmm. Um, those rates would not be very attractive. So what we would normally recommend is that you sign up with a foreign exchange provider, someone like uh, TransferWise or OFX, who are the ones that we work with. Mm-hmm. If you yes, do, I use TransferWise. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you do use TransferWise, you've already got an account with them. That's probably the easiest. Um, and then TransferWise would be doing the exchange, in which case the rates would be much more attractive. I mean, there's still international bank fees involved, but again, for these sort of amounts, they're um, negligent compared to the exchange rate difference. So yes, you're I'm paying about transferwise with yen. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's it's much better than the bank. Holy cow! Yeah. Correct. So you'll be paying maybe. I mean, you can't avoid the hundred dollars uh, international bank charges or what that would be involved in a big uh, remittance like that. But compared to the uh, thousand or thousand or two thousand dollars that they would save you in the exchange rates, that's again negligible. No question. Right. Okay. Uh, no, this is all, um, it's all quite clear. Um, what, what else should I be asking you? Um, 
I think the rest of the questions would probably be once we start evaluating potential deals. Then I can give you a bit of info on what we think on each potential deal, and then we'll start doing due diligence, and there'll be a lot of questions related to that particular property or that particular location. Mm-hmm. Um, but the general gist of things, I think we've probably covered most of it. I think you hinted at this, or you mentioned a little bit, but tell me a little bit more. Is it like... Um is it like a monthly report of how the property is doing? Or what's the standard communication flow? This much money is in the bank account. How does that work? Well, when everything, um, go, when everything is uneventful, we'll be getting a, a monthly statement from the property manager, which yep. will usually be the same. So we'll know how much rent they've collected and they'll deposit it into our account. Um, there's extra communication involved when there's something that needs to be done. So, for example, if there's any maintenance request or a tenant moved out and we've got a vacancy report or we've got a renovation estimate, uh, those things we'll be communicating with you via email to get your confirmation before we do anything, mm-hmm. um, unless it's an emergency. So, for example, water and electric-related uh, items are considered legal emergencies because they're life-threatening in case a fire breaks out. Okay. So in those cases, we might have to uh, act at once and just fill you in once we've done it. But in all other cases, we'll be asking you for confirmation of any expenses and so forth. So that's when the communication gets a bit heavier. And also when there's a vacancy, we'll obviously have a, um, a vacancy report every three to four weeks, letting you know how many people have clicked on the ad, how many people have made inquiries by phone, how many people have inspected, and then making recommendations on whether we need to... Um, reduce the rent or offer incentives like first month free rent or owner participation in move-in fees or anything of that sort, just in case there's extra competition in the area for similar uh, properties. And then we collect all of the financial information from the property manager on a monthly basis. But because we work with property managers uh, in particular cities that manage properties for um, a larger amount of clients, I mean, we're not getting just a single statement for your property. We're going to get a statement that includes maybe um, 20 or 30 or 50 properties in that city. And there's also other third parties that we will be making payments to um, and or collecting money from. So there's the building fees, uh, building maintenance that needs to be done. That's sometimes a separate company. Mm -hmm. There's also uh, insurance companies that we deal with. And once a year, there's the property tax that we pay. So we collate all of this information throughout the year and we provide you with an annual statement, not a monthly one. And then at any point in time, if you want to remit funds across because the rates are particularly good or you need money as an emergency back home, then you let us know and we just send it to you. Even if it's mid-year, we can give you a rough estimate of how much should be in your account based on the previous months. Right. And then we remit to you based on that. If we've um, overestimated or underestimated a little bit, we can just collect it from your incoming rent in the next few months. That's not a big issue for us. So. If you need money because you want to transfer money across um, mid-year and you haven't received your annual statement yet, that's okay. We'll give you a rough estimate and remit based on that. Right. Okay. And um, this is getting, uh, you know, maybe a little detailed, but uh, if uh, I had some other business interest in Japan, um, is is it workable to, like, 
I would ask you to wire the money to uh, a third party in Japan. So to avoid, you know, right now what, what, what can happen, what I'm visiting happening is <clears throat> uh, money gets sent from Japan, like rental income gets sent to the U.S., gets converted to dollars, you pay the fees there. And then I need, to, for some other business reasons, need to send some yen to Japan. And so I'm, I'm getting the exchange rate issues twice. Uh, yeah, we can definitely do that for you. And like that, that would be a non-standard activity that we do on your behalf. So we'd be charging by the hour. But it'll, again, it'll still be a lot cheaper than, uh, like you said, exchange rates and international remittances will usually be a lot more than that. So we're happy to do that for you if you want. Okay. Great. Um... Same with your accountant, by the way. If you're going to be owning a property at that budget level, um, you're probably going to be eligible for... Um, um, for income tax, annual income tax. So uh, we will recommend an accountant if you want us to, or you can use your own, and then we'll provide information to them. And then there's going to be a tax statement and the accountant's fee that we need to pay once a year. So we do that on your behalf from your funds as well. Oh, okay, so you actually pay the accountant. If you the once you instruct us to, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. That's uh, that's a nice service. Yeah. yeah. Okay, super. No, this is very, very helpful. Uh, yeah, I appreciate your time. Not a problem. Um, let me read over all your things and, and discuss it and um, get back to you with next steps in the near future. Happy to. And did Pretty already forward some sample deals within that budget that you could look at, or have you not received those yet? Uh, she sent uh, two of them. Okay. So yes. that should give you a rough idea of what's available. I think that was maybe up to two or three months ago. Um, in your area and your budget. And if anything else comes along um, that suits that, I'll, I'll send you a copy of that as well. That sounds great. All right. Great speaking with you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Bye. Bye. So there you go. Hopefully that struck a chord with quite a few of you who are in a similar situation, just evaluating the market here and comparing it with others around the world that you might be more familiar with. And we've spoken here in the past as well about potentially setting up a company for purchasing these pricier properties, which could be the more tax-efficient course to pursue. So if you do, let us know if you'd like to be put in touch with uh, Shimizu-san, our sponsor, who can assist with that, um, and or with an accountant who can provide some advice. And also let me remind you again about our other sponsor, Humble Bunny, our favorite web design and online sales experts. And they can help you promote your online presence, not only globally, but also specifically in Japan. And if you've ever seen Japanese websites and social media pages, you know that they can be quite different from what you're used to uh, design-wise to seeing online. So yes, Humble Bunny is the company that you want to turn to for that, whether it's for your own business that you're trying to promote or if you just want to help your company steer in the right direction and win some brownie points with your employer. Let them know about Humble Bunny. They'll thank you for it guaranteed, whether it's for e-commerce purposes or just general traffic at a super affordable price too. So shoot them an email at inquisitive at humblebunny.com. Ask to be put in touch with Nate. He's the boss. And be sure to let them know that you found them here on the Japan Real Estate Podcast. So that's it from us for today, folks. Thanks for joining us again. And as usual, if you did enjoy this episode, let the world know, share it far and wide, get onto the iTunes store, leave us a review or give us your star rating at least. And of course, leave us your comments, your questions, any suggestions for topics that you want us to discuss here on the podcast. And of course, don't be shy to ask about our sponsorship options as well. We'll be more than happy to help you reach more people who may have an interest in your Japan-related product, service, project, 
uh, same as we've done for uh, Alex, photographer, Shimizu-san, the immigration lawyer, and of course, Humble Bunny, our web designer and online marketing experts. So hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, have a great day or night ahead. Yoshiku! Thank you.